0: Uh, Well, good morning, uh, and a very special howdy to all of my Aggies in the room. My name is... Austin McCann, I am the RUF campus minister at Texas A&M. It really is a joy to be with you today. Uh, And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So uh, if you have a Bible, would you please uh, open there? It's going to be Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And while you're turning there, just a little bit about me. My my wife's name is Alex, and we have a son named Henry, two-year-old son, and Seven-month-old baby girl named Betsy. They couldn't be with me this morning, but they uh, wish they could. Uh, We have been in College Station for over a year now. Uh, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and I I went to Mississippi State University as as an undergrad. Got very involved in the RUF there. It's actually where I met my wife, Alex, and then I went to go uh, serve as an RUF intern at Auburn University for two years. My wife and I got married there, and then I went to go. I felt God's calling on my life to go into pastoral ministry, and I went to go uh, attend as a student at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, for four years, and then accepted the call uh, over a year ago to come and serve as the REF campus minister at Texas A&M. So if you have any connections... If you're an Aggie, or if you have families who are Aggies, if you know other students who are incoming students this fall, or prospective students, please come to me afterward. I'd love to meet you and get connected with you, Uh, so please uh, come greet me afterward, and I'd love to get to know you. Uh, So this morning, we are in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and let's turn our attention now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Be to God. Would you pray with me, Father? What a gift it is uh, to wake up and to come and to worship together as your people, Father. I ask that this morning that we would be re-amazed again today by the forgiveness that is offered to us in your gospel. Would you convict us where we need conviction? Would you comfort us where we need comfort? Lord, I ask that your word would not just be informative, but transformative for all of us this morning. That as we leave today, we would be more confident in your forgiveness, more humbled by your grace, and more assured in the love that you have for us only by the blood of your son, Jesus. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as we approach our passage this morning, I want you to consider a question. But if someone were to ask you today, what is the biggest problem you have faced or are facing in your life right now, what would you say? How would you respond? All right, if, I, if I was to guess in a, in a room this size, I would say that some of us would include things on that list like loss of a loved one, sickness, cancer, serious financial debt, marital strife, maybe a child who won't talk to you anymore. Chronic pain, an addiction or a sin pattern that you just can't shake, disability, depression, anxiety, a longing to be married. My follow-up question would be this. Where do you take these very real and serious problems? What solution are we looking for to fix these very real and serious and immediate needs in our life? When we encounter Jesus today in our passage, the bad news that Mark holds out for us, that reveals to us, is that our primary problem is actually a lot worse than we realize. That we've actually underestimated our deepest need. But the triumphant and good news is that the solution to our greatest problem has been accomplished by our greater healer, Jesus Christ. Right. This story is beautifully written with a lot of unexpected twists and turns that produce a reaction of astonishment or shock in the characters in our episode. So we're going to consider three surprises in the progression of our passage this morning, okay? A chain reaction of surprises. So if you're a note-taker, here you go, okay? First, we're going to consider Jesus' surprising healing in verses 1 through 5. Secondly, Jesus's, or the scribes' surprising questions in verses 6 through 11. And lastly, the crowd's surprising worship in verse 12. So Jesus' surprising healing. The scribes' surprising questions, and the crowds' surprising worship. First, Jesus' surprising healing in verses 1 through 5. Mark narrates this opening scene by saying that it had been reported that Jesus was back in Capernaum. They didn't have Twitter, and they couldn't share their location on Google Maps. But news spread quickly throughout the villages and the towns in Galilee. And there's no doubt that Jesus' popularity was growing worried about his healing and his casting out of demons. And his teaching was spreading throughout these towns and villages. So much so that Mark tells us that this home where Jesus was preaching the word was so packed that people were spilling out of the doorway. There are fire violation codes all over this passage. right? And it's important to note that in this house, on that day, it was filled with all different kinds of people. All the way from religious leaders and scribes, all the way down to common, ordinary fishermen. You see, Mark gives us these details to introduce us to five friends, right? Four of whom were on a mission to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And he tells us that instead of giving up when they see the crowded doorway, they go up the stairs outside of the home and on top of the roof because everything that they had heard about this man named Jesus was that he could heal. So they started digging, Right, this, is, this was not a Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible scene where the spy quietly rappels down. No, th- this was a, a really loud and disturbing demolition process. Right. The, the typical first century Jewish roof, it was built out of a series of wooden beams and it was layered with plastered clay and mud and branches. So there's no doubt that as these men were digging, that mud and dirt and branches would have been falling all over the people in the home underneath them. Right, it would definitely have caused a scene and and definitely an awkward conversation with the homeowner after this incident. (laughs) But what makes this episode of Jesus' healing surprising? Right, well, this morning I want you to try and imagine yourself in the sandals of these four friends on that roof that day. Right? You've spent your time and your energy to bring your paralyzed friend to this man named Jesus. You've interrupted him while he preaches. And you've just created a demolition site in this homeowner's roof. And, you, and as you're lowering your paralytic friend down to, this, to the feet of this Jewish man, you have to be thinking to yourself, as I'm sure they were, like this better be worth it. <laughs> now imagine yourself as this paralyzed man. Helplessly being lowered for all to see. Your entire life you've been a prisoner in your own body and in your own bed not having the ability to run or jump or dance or to get out of bed in the morning how long have you been identified your entire life as the paralytic and here at last you're placed before Jesus a man whom you you've heard has the power to heal you and the moment of truth is here certainly healings about to come and Jesus looks at your friends and then he looks at you and what falls from his lips son your sins are forgiven like really (laughs) that's it like can you imagine the confusion the disappointment racing through the minds of this paralyzed man and the minds of his friends jesus do you not see the immediate need here does he not know all the all the time and energy we spent to bring our paralyzed friend to him was this fake news is he unable to heal what's forgiveness when your legs don't work How often in our own pain have we been tempted to wonder the same thing? With disabilities and heartaches in our homes, with chronic pain in our bodies, with school shootings and death and violence, with hobbled hopes and drooping spirits, we just wonder why our Messiah does not just go ahead and heal us and take it away. Our our suffering and our loved ones suffering. Uh, Nancy Guthrie a wife and a mother. Uh, She's a well-known author who's written some really great works on suffering. And she tragically lost both of her children, Gabe and Hope, to a a fatal genetic syndrome right after they were born. And she did an interview with the Gospel Coalition on ministering to people in their suffering. And she said, one of the best things that we can do is pray. And not only pray that God would remove the suffering or lighten the load which are good and right things to pray for, and we need to be praying praying for that. But she argues that we shouldn't stop there. But instead of stopping there, that we should pray that God would accomplish a great work through our suffering and in our loved ones' suffering. And she uses the example of John 9, which is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And his disciples asked, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, it was neither this man nor his parents. But this happened... That the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, one of the most helpful ways to pray for one another in our suffering is that God would accomplish a great work through us and in us. Because even though we may never, ever know the why behind our suffering in this life, the pattern we find all throughout Scripture is that God promises that He always uses the suffering of His people for His good purposes. And our prayers should reflect that for one another. Which we just heard, actually. Because you see, the greatest of all works was accomplished that day in our passage. Why? Because the most primary need for the paralytic man was not the revival of his, of his limbs, but the renewal of his heart. Because in that moment, Jesus gave him something better, something eternal, something that no man or, or any kind of physical, physical matter could ever take away from him. He didn't primarily need strengthened legs. He needed a strengthened heart. A heart that, that was reconciled to God. A heart that was forgiven. A heart that heard God call him son. The same heart that we all need today. Right? Even if the story was to end right here at verse 5. If I was to pray and to close and, and we were to go home. Right, That man trapped on his bed and in his body means that Jesus' words, that his many sins had been forgiven, was still reason enough for him to sing a thousand lifetimes. And it begs the question this morning, like, where is our joy rooted? Is our joy rooted in our abilities, in our family reputation, in our comfort, our looks? Or on the opposite end, is it swallowed up by our sufferings? See, Christian, if you're in Christ this morning, you have a higher reason to reclaim hope. Because your pro- most primary need has been accomplished. Your name is written in heaven. You see, this is the most central plot line of all of Scripture. Is that Christ came for the salvation of His people. He came to make dead hearts alive in Him. He came to forgive sinners and declare them righteous before God. And this is the exact reason why the scribes are so surprised. Which leads us to our next point. The scribes' surprising questions. Because in verse, verses 6-11, through 11, Jesus' declaration of, uh, of forgiveness leaves the religious leaders in astonishment. What began as a heartwarming healing suddenly turns into a confrontation over religious authority. Right, The, the theological alarm bells would have been ringing in the minds of the scribes and that's exactly what the text tells us. They say, this man's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? And before we too quickly villainize the scribes, it needs to be said that, yes, they're wrong. But they're also very right. How can that be? Right? The scribes are wrong that Jesus is blaspheming. But they're spot on that it is God alone who can forgive sins. So what does that say about who Jesus is? is that he is God and man. Mark himself gives the reader evidence because the text tells us that Jesus knew what the scribes were questioning in their hearts. It's impossible for man to know what another man is thinking. But nothing is impossible for God. Mark himself is claiming that Jesus is God. He said, but then Jesus himself takes the argument one stage further. And this is important. Because he addresses the scribes and says, look, which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, we all know that on the surface, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's something invisible and impossible to disprove. Anybody can say that. No one can see the result of it, but it's harder to say, take up your bed and walk, because if the man doesn't get up, then it proves that you have no authority to heal. So how does Jesus verify his authority and identity? But he looks at the scribes and he says, watch this. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the paralytic and says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man picks up his bed and walks out. You see, Jesus did go on to heal this man's legs. And in doing so, he confirms that what he says is true. And he proved himself to be God. That he is the authority to heal and forgive. Right, it, it's true that Jesus does not mend the bodies of all of his children in this age, but he promises that he will in the next. In 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata dove into shallow water and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. And in 1979, she started a disability ministry called Johnny and Friends, which is a, a global ministry that has reached millions of people. Touched by disability, and after some time of her accident, a reporter came up to Johnny and said, "Hey, Johnny, like, I'm writing. am writing an article. Can I just follow you, follow you around for a normal week and just kind of watch what you do day to day?" And Johnny said, "Sure, that's fine. You can do that." And it's important to note that before her accident, Johnny enjoyed all the same things that a 17 year old girl enjoyed. She, she she loved to swim and run and play sports, but she especially loved riding horses. And one afternoon, her and this reporter went out to a barn to watch people ride horses. And they're out there all afternoon, just in the hot sun. And Johnny is just sitting by a fence post watching people ride back and forth, back and forth. And so after hours, the reporter kind of scratching his head and twiddling his thumbs. And he just he, he musters up the courage and he walks up to Johnny and says, Johnny, this, like, this has to be torture for you. Like, Why do you do this to yourself? Why do you watch other people ride all day? And she simply looked up at him and said, Because I don't want to forget how. Because I know one day that I'll ride again. Like, whether there will be horses in heaven or not, the point is this. Is that what Johnny was doing was that she was leaning into the resurrection. That because Jesus has primarily and ultimately forgiven her of her sins by dying on the cross, defeating death by his resurrecting from the grave, she knows that one day her body will be made new and fully restored. That because Christ has healed the spiritual paralysis of her heart, he will one day completely heal the physical paralysis. And one day she will ride again. You see, the gospel irony of this passage this morning... Is that on that day, every scribe, every disciple, every man, every woman, every child, and every person on that roof and in that house that day are in just as much desperate need of Jesus as the man paralyzed laying on his mat. And so are you and me. That no matter how much knowledge you may have or how many degrees may be hanging on your wall or how polished or good you may think you are with people or whether you're eight years old this morning or 80 years old or an Aggie or a Longhorn, your greatest need this morning is to hear and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers to you in his gospel. And if you have received his grace and forgiveness this morning, then the only proper response for you is to join the crowd in surprising worship. This leads us to our last point, the crowd's surprising worship. Because Mark concludes this story in verse 12 with, once again, a surprising reaction. A wonderful astonishment from the crowd. They marvel at Jesus' forgiveness and healing. The text says that they glorify God. They worshipped him. Why? Because worship is the only proper response to undeserved forgiveness. You see, it wasn't the quality or the quantity of the faith of these friends that day that that in themselves produced forgiveness in their paralytic friend. From everything the text tells us, they were bringing their friend for physical healing. But you see, it was who they placed their faith in that day, the object of their faith, namely Jesus himself. You see, that's the beauty of God's forgiveness. That all of us this morning, if you have received it, that as sinners who are dead in our trespasses and sin... We were never looking for God's forgiveness. But he gave it to us only by his free grace alone. When was the last time that you were surprised by your salvation? Because when people look at us, they should say, like, really? (laughs) You're a Christian? And our response should be, I know, right? (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy that God would save someone as wretched as me. Because there's nothing in myself that could have earned God's forgiveness. But God called me to himself by his free grace alone. You know, we we open with some examples of some of the biggest problems that we're facing in our life right now. And the solution to those very serious and immediate needs in our life. And for some of you this morning, yes. God may be using severe trials in your life right now to show you how truly helpless and and in need you are of him. Some of these problems may be serving as a check engine light that is warning you of a much deeper problem under the hood of your heart. And I would hold out for you before the door of grace is closed that I would ask that he would unroof the hardness of your heart and that you would come to him, that you would receive his forgiveness, which no money can buy, no good deeds can earn, and no suffering can steal. So that one day, yes, you will be with him resurrected from the grave without paralyzed affections, without paralyzed minds, and without paralyzed bodies. And for others of you this morning just beaten and by the violent winds of this life, worn and weary, I want you to hear the words from an old theologian. A few more years of watching and praying, a few more tossings on the sea of this world, a few more deaths and changes... A few more winters and summers, and all will be over. We shall have fought our last battle, and shall need to fight no more. I'll end with this. I had an older pastor tell me the story of his 40th surprise birthday party. He called it his predestined birthday party. And he said on the eve of his birthday, he innocently stepped into his church's fellowship hall only to be met by over 250 plus people to scream, surprise! And it turns out that his wife had been scheming and orchestrating a two-month plot to finally surprise him and get him on his 40th birthday. And it it was a total success. And not only was was he surprised by all the love and affection from his friends and family who, who had traveled near and far to come celebrate him, But he was even more baffled at the stealth of his own wife, who who was just one of the most innocent and honest and kind people. And she she was telling him afterward about all the fake emails and super secret Facebook groups and text messages that she was hiding and the, the the sneaking around his crazy schedule. He said after the night was over, he was just struck by the sheer beauty of it all. So much time, so much planning, so much concern, just so that a group of people could tell them how much that he that they love him and as he sat up late at night and made him think about the reality of God's sovereignty in his life that there is something captivatingly beautiful about a god who has meticulously planned out every detail of one's life not so that he can rule the universe in despotic veracity but very simply to tell his creatures how much he loves them See, what if at the end of time you suddenly discover that every random event, every trial and tribulation, all of the confusion and uncertainty of your past life had now been meticulously pieced together into a beautiful tapestry that's, that when finally seen in hindsight, unfolded a persistent, unquenchable, cosmic affection towards you. That as soon as you open your eyes on the other side of death, all the trumpets will sound, and there will appear the entire creation screaming, Surprise! It all makes sense. All the wrongs will be righted, all the hurts will be healed, and all the tears will be wiped away. And that what ensues in it is an eternal bath of joy, a cosmic unending party. See, Christian, as we lie on the floor, he whispers, my child, your sins are forgiven. Yet soon enough, we will hear, rise, my child, and enter the joy of your master. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those downtrodden by the brokenness of this world this morning that we would be reminded again today that you have removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. That Because of your life, death, and resurrection, would you help us to seize upon the hope that one day we will be with you forever with unparalyzed souls and unparalyzed bodies. I ask by your grace that you would restore to us again today the joy of our salvation that comes through the forgiveness of your son Jesus Christ.